It is Monday, October 21st here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we have already updated the rest of the way rankings on DraftSharks.com. We've got the Jets and Patriots yet to play on Monday night, of course. You can check those out if you're a DS Insider on DraftSharks.com. We're already moving on today to projections for Week 8, as we do every Monday. But, Jared, there's still plenty from Week 7 that's going to affect not only those numbers, but... The weeks ahead. So let's dig into what happened over the weekend. We'll start with some key injuries. And I mean, I don't think there's anything that affects the fantasy landscape right now more than Patrick Mahomes' knee injury, a dislocated kneecap in that Thursday night game against Denver. He, of course, went into that game dealing with a high ankle sprain. Adam Schefter said three weeks, quote, if not sooner. Chris Mortensen called him week to week. What's the latest from anybody else on how long we should actually expect to be without Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I've been following, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Chubb on Twitter, who I think does a really good job covering injuries, really knowledgeable guy. You know, he used to be the head doctor for the Chargers, and he, he's been saying all along here that he, he thinks three weeks is the absolute minimum. There, there's, there's, um, you know, ligament damage to the knee in association with the, with the dislocated kneecap. So I, I'm banking on at least three weeks for Patrick Mahomes at this point. So that means he'd miss the games against the Packers, uh, Vikings, and Titans. And the following week, the Chiefs play on Monday night in Mexico City, and I don't know if the Mexico City thing, you know, adds some some layer of complexity to this whole thing. But after that is a Week Twelve bye, so I I wouldn't even be surprised if Mahomes ends up missing four games and returning after that bye week. I mean, for what it's worth, I'm pretty sure Mexico City is at a higher elevation, so there's some effect there. I, I think that if you have Mahomes, obviously nobody's going to just drop Mahomes. Yeah because of the injury. So, I mean, if you have him, then you should be operating as though he's going to miss the longer end of the timeline. They've they've been saying since early on that was like a three to six week timeline. I know that there's been more optimism since then, but I don't think you lose anything by anticipating it being like four to five weeks. And if it's not that long, then great. I wonder if you could maybe look into selling Mahomes and it sounds strange because you know, who, who's going to want to trade for an injured player, but it's, it's Patrick Mahomes. Um, like you said, the, the, you know, reports from the mainstream media have been pretty positive, but again, I think there's a chance he misses, you know, four games then has a bye week So you could be without him for five weeks. Then after that, the, the chiefs after the bye week they get Oakland the first game back. Then they're at new England versus Denver and at Chicago. So, you know, so not, not a, not a, good schedule for the passing game or really any part of that offense not not saying Mahomes will be a guy we're saying to bench but I think you know you might not get elite production out of him especially considering you know he, he's this kneecap thing he, he's gonna need surgery after the season according to you know Dr. Chow again and Chow has been saying that there's gonna be increased risk of him re-injuring that knee when he comes back. So I, I do think, you know, Mahomes is going to carry elevated risk when he comes back. So again, if you, if you can trade him and get, you know, something real nice in return, and again, you know, we know we can stream quarterbacks pretty easily. So maybe something to at least look into uh, over the next couple of weeks here. He was still doing Patrick Mahomes things here and there right before getting hurt, but he wasn't lighting it up over the past couple of weeks. So, you know, some of it was dealing with that ankle, others just like, you're not always going to be perfect, but he had the, a, a rough fantasy outing at Detroit he got sacked a bunch by the Colts at his place. So, you know, we're not talking about a guy that's on the decline, but a guy that's not so far above the rest of the position as he was last year. So I agree. I mean, it can't hurt to look into that possibility. Maybe you find somebody who has a couple of quarterbacks but would like to upgrade that position see if you can sell Mahomes for maybe like somebody who can get you by maybe like Jacoby Brissett level plus a significant upgrade elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the fallout obviously goes beyond quarterback. I mean, the Chiefs now go to Matt Moore. He's going to at least start week eight. We'll see if they stick with him beyond that. Week eight is against Green Bay at home on Sunday night. Green Bay is still a negative scoring matchup, at least heading into Sunday against the Raiders. It was the seventh worst scoring matchup for, for fantasy quarterbacks, according to our strength of schedule page. Heading into that game, they did allow some points to uh, Derek Carr and then 
um, Mike Glennon late in that game. So that might hurt their rating, but it's not a tremendous matchup. So, I mean, what are you doing with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, anybody else for this game? I think Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, obviously they're they're downgraded quite a bit going from Patrick Mahomes to, to Matt Moore, but I think they're both weekly starters still. I mean, we saw Tyreek Hill just make that one big play where he, you know, he broke open down the right sideline and scored the long touchdown. Travis Kelsey saw a decent amount of targets from Matt Moore. So I don't think you're benching those guys. I think it's the rest of these ancillary pieces of the Chiefs passing game, Demarcus Robinson, Nicole Hardman, um, you know, Byron Pringle, if you're still hanging on to him. I think those guys are not fantasy starters for as long as Patrick Mahomes is out. I wonder if LaShawn McCoy actually gets an upgrade here because I think the Chiefs are going to have to run the ball more. They've been one of the past heaviest teams in the NFL, which makes sense with Patrick Mahomes. But I, I do think Andy Reid's going to run the ball more for as long as Mahomes is out. I mean, they didn't run it a whole lot more against Denver, even with a big lead in that game. So I don't know. I would think they're you know just trying to get Matt more reps, which is probably smart at that point. Yeah, I mean, I guess McCoy came out with 12 carries, which was a season high for him. So I could see a little bit more rushing. I'm certainly not looking forward to anything in that offense going forward. But as you said, you got to keep using Hill. You got to keep using Kelsey. I'm certainly not interested in Demarcus Robinson. I'm certainly not interested in Nicole Hardman. I think those guys are even at the level where you could drop them for something else, depending on, you know, what's available in your league and uh, how deep your league goes. Yeah, I agree. Matt Ryan was another quarterback injury from week seven, sprained his right ankle against the Rams, left that game in a walking boot. What's the latest on his situation? Yeah, Dr. Child believes this one is a high ankle sprain. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes, like we, we said, had the high ankle sprain, was able to pr- play through. It is it is something quarterbacks can can play through, especially a guy like Matt Ryan, who's a pocket passer. That said, I mean, the Falcons are one and six. They have a week nine bye coming up. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Falcons sit Matt Ryan down for week eight, at least, and, and go with Matt Schaub. Yeah, I mean, this will be one to watch throughout the week to see if he's going to play through it. Because like you said, we, we've seen guys, I mean, we saw Patrick Mahomes try to play through a high ankle sprain recently, mm-hmm. and he's a more mobile passer than Matt Ryan, where you think the ankle probably matters a little bit more. So we'll watch. Similar to Kansas City, everybody gets a downgrade if it's Matt Schaub instead of Matt Ryan. I think Austin Hooper is going to have to stay in lineups. I think Julio Jones is going to have to stay in lineups. And then Calvin Ridley and Muhammad Sanu probably take the biggest relative hits. Yeah, I, I would say Sanu won't be a fantasy option. Then Ridley is going to be you know, a borderline wide receiver three if it's Schaub under center. I don't know. I wonder if Sanu becomes a more attractive target to the more limited yeah. quarterback than Calvin Ridley and his downfield stuff. Yeah, maybe. Could be. I, I just, I, it's tough to get excited about the Falcons' offense if it's Schaub in her center. Then I, I still think, you know, Sanu is not an exciting player on his own. He's not a, he's not a big play threat. He's not going to turn, you know, five or six targets into a big fantasy day. It's tough to get excited about this Falcons team with anybody under center at this point. Yeah, I mean, that offense was good. And then yesterday was just a, just a mess. Yeah, they got a lot of garbage time, which they should continue to get going forward. Right, Maybe yep. Devontae Freeman gets some work, a la what mm-hmm. we were saying for Chiefs running backs. Ito Smith left with what looked like it was going to be a concussion in yesterday's game against the Rams, but afterward ESPN's Von McClure said that it's believed to just be a neck stinger, that the team thinks he, quote, should be good. You know, we've seen before where players don't think they have a concussion, and then sometime during the next week they report to team headquarters with symptoms. So I wouldn't say that Ito Smith's completely out of the woods yet. But it seems like he's trending toward, at the very least, being ready soon, if not as soon as this week against Seattle. Right, yeah. We'll, we'll watch him in practice this week. Um, sort of like in Kansas City, I think if it's Schaub under center in week eight, it will mean more running. I mean, the, the Falcons have been the past heaviest offense in the NFL, so I think they're definitely going to run the ball more if Matt Ryan's out. But I mean, Devontae Freeman's been getting a lot of his value in, in the passing game, so I'm not even sure that that helps him that much. Yeah, slower paced offense on the other side in Seattle might help this week where it's just going to be a grinded out game and one that's uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, yep. David Johnson didn't have a new injury in the game, as far as we know. So he headed into the game against the Giants. There was already the back injury that made him questionable the week before. There was an ankle sprain this week that limited his practice, made him questionable for this one. But he was active, and there was no Cardinals reporter saying before the game that he was at an emergency level. After the game, or during the game, we started having reports that Johnson was only available for emergency-type use. Yet, he started the game on the field. That, to me, is not what you do with a running back who is only available for emergency use. 
Yeah, I mean, I think David Johnson took that first carry, either re-injured the ankle or just sort of realized that he wasn't going to be able to get it done. Obviously a frustrating situation. I'm not sure, you know, playing David Johnson was was wrong. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury did say Friday that, you know, David Johnson wouldn't have been able to play if the game was on Friday. So it was clear at that point the ankle was legit. But like you said, we, we got nothing from, you know, Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport on Sunday morning saying that, you know, Johnson was going to be limited or or he was at less than a hundred percent. So it felt like a pretty comfortable spot to use him. Um, I think looking forward now, it would make sense for Arizona to sit Johnson down for a week or two to get him healthy, especially after what Chase Edmond showed in relief of David Johnson yesterday. And we certainly have to at least put, I think an active David Johnson down toward the middle to bottom of running back two range. Like I said, even if he's active for this coming week's game, the Cardinals also have a workout set up for Spencer Ware this Mm -hmm. Tuesday, according to Adam Schefter. So I think that points to them being concerned about David Johnson's health going forward. I would make sure that I have a a contingency plan, even if Chase Edmonds is not available in my league and not on my roster. I would plan as though David Johnson's going to miss this week, and I would hope to not have to use him, even if he's active. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see what we hear. I, I would I would hope the Cardinals just, again, sit him down, get him healthy. Um, Chase Edmonds obviously needs to be owned in all leagues. He's, you know, the number one priority if he's available in your league. The bad news is the Cardinals' next four games, New Orleans, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, San Francisco, before their bye week. That's about as tough as a run schedule as it gets. So Edmonds, if, if Johnson's out, Edmonds is going to be ranked as at least a running back too, just based on volume. But you know, ju- just know that the, the schedule is going to be a lot tougher than it was against the Giants yesterday. Also know, though, that this is a different situation than most, and that running back in Arizona is like a receiver and a running back. So, I mean, Chase Edmonds could see eight targets or maybe even a couple more if David Johnson's out and really will still be involved even if David Johnson's in there. We've already seen Chase Edmonds score even with an active David Johnson in the the lineup. Yes, for sure, yeah. Volume is going to make Edmonds a fantasy starter despite those matchups. I think Chase Edmonds is basically a 100% of my remaining free agency dollars guy this week, unless I'm in good shape at running back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's week eight now. So I mean, there's no reason to be holding tight to your to your fab money anymore at this point. Carry mm-hmm. on Johnson left yesterday's game with a knee injury could be seen with a brace on on the sideline uh, home for the Giants in week eight. What do, do we know anything about his knee yet at this point? No, no update on carry on Johnson yet. It's the opposite knee of the one he hurt last season. Whether that's good or bad, who knows? Um, but we'll see. I'm guessing probably by the time you listen to this, there'll be something up on Shark Bites about on Johnson. Ty Johnson is the Lions running back to prioritize on your waiver wire this week. Um, after on Johnson left uh, that game yesterday, Ty Johnson, eight carries and four targets. J.D. McKissick had four carries and two targets. So it's going to be a committee, but, you know, two thirds of the work going to Ty Johnson sounds about right. I would be surprised, too, if they don't bring in something else this week. I mean, they tried for Paul Perkins earlier this year, apparently found out what the Giants already knew about him. I would be surprised if they would went into week eight without something extra around. I saw um, that Jay Ajayi is working out for um, Arizona, too. So, you know, he, he might make sense for Detroit. I've been wondering if he's going to show up somewhere. On my Scott Fishbowl team, I've been hanging on to Jay Ajayi for a couple of weeks just to see if he's going to land with somebody before I quit on him. I have him on quite a few best ball teams, so I wouldn't mind if he gets a job at least. <laughs> if they don't add somebody significant this week, and assuming that Ty Johnson is the lead back there, I would still have to be pretty hard up to look to Ty Johnson as mm-hmm. a real option for my lineup. I don't know. I mean, I think most people are hard up enough where he's going to be an option as at least a running back three. I mean, I think he'd project him for maybe, you know, 15 or so touches and he, he gets that Giants matchup. Yeah, like I would probably use either of Philly's top two backs over Ty Johnson, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, Philly uh, for Buffalo? Yeah. I'd, I'd, probably, I'd probably use Jordan Howard over Ty Johnson, but probably not Miles Sanders. Uh, Jordan Howard would be a definite over Ty Johnson for me against Buffalo. It's only it's only Monday. We'll we'll get the week eight rankings sorted out. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to a different injury now. And Adam Thielen hurt his hamstring. No, I'm sorry. What was the injury that he suffered? Was it a hamstring on that diving catch? Yeah, yeah, it was a hamstring. He like collided into the wall, and it looked like he like hurt his hand or wrist or something. But reported as a hamstring. I guess that's what it was. With Minnesota playing on Thursday night, I on Thursday night against Washington, a game they can win. Without Adam Thielen, I, I, I'd be surprised if he ends up playing. A game they can probably win without Adam Thielen and Kirk Cousins and half the defense. 
Exactly. Yeah, I, I was. I thought it was the hamstring, and then I was having visions of the play of him yeah. ferrotting into the wall. So yeah, the <laughs> hamstring. It's good that it's a hamstring, I guess, and that he didn't suffer any uh, head or neck damage on that. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it would seem irresponsible to play Adam Thielen this week, so let's assume that he's going to be out. Congratulations if you did not trade Stefan Diggs yet, because you not only got a good game from him against Detroit, but you're about to get him as the number one receiver against a bad Washington secondary, so that should be a nice outing for him. And then Olabisi Johnson looks like he's going to be a starter, tied for team-high eight targets against Detroit with Thielen leaving that one early. Yeah, I would think BC Johnson just like a showdown option in um, you know DFS if you're playing a Thursday night, or which you know, he's probably a decent play there. I think Kyle Rudolph becomes more interesting too. We, we've seen his role kind of grow a bit over the past you know couple of weeks leading into yesterday, and then yesterday he was quite involved after Thielen left. And again, you know, I, I think Rudolph might end up being the number two target in that passing game on Thursday night. So was Irv Smith though? They both mm-hmm. saw six targets in that game all of a sudden, I believe. There was a report from, uh, I'm kind of mad I didn't put more into it, but Tom Pelissero on uh, Sunday morning said that the Vikings wanted to get both their tight ends and running backs more involved in the passing game in that Lions game, and they definitely did that. Well, it's about time, and I think at, at the very least, the whole scenario makes Kirk Cousins more of a realistic fantasy option, as he should be at this point. I mean, he's somebody who should be like in the 11 to 16 range at QB most weeks. I mean, I think what's sort of gone overlooked is he, he's playing awesome. He had that, what was it, the Packers game he was bad in. But outside of that, I mean, he, I think he's averaging like 9.1 yards per pass attempt this season. So even with the, the muted volume, you know, he's he's playing well enough where, yeah, I agree. I think at least in good matchups like he has on Thursday night, you know, I think he's definitely someone that we should be considering as at least a quarterback one spot starter. I agree. Will Fuller suffered a hamstring injury three plays into the loss of the Colts. Ian Rappaport called it a rather significant pull, quote unquote, uh, expected to miss several weeks, according to Rappaport. So fire up Kenny Stills, huh? Yeah, I mean, Kenny Stills is the most natural replacement. I mean, basically the, the same the same type of player as Fuller, that you know, speedy field stretcher. So and, and it was Stills who stepped right in to Fuller's spot yesterday. Um, Stills ran a route on 95% of Deshaun Watson's dropbacks. Kiki Cutie was at 76%, you know, as the number three receiver. So I think Cutie, um, you know, should definitely be owned if he's available in your league and, and could be at least someone who, you know, spot starts for you if you're dealing with bye weeks over the next few weeks here with, with Fuller out. Yeah, Kenny Stills even has the funky hair to match Will Fuller's profile. And playing time-wise, Kenny Stills hit 94% of the snaps. Previous high was 54% before yesterday. Kiki Cutie played 69%. Previous high for him had been 57%. And he had four other games at sub-50%. So I would say a Will Fuller absence would be good for both of those guys, as will a Week 8 home date with Oakland. Uh, Certainly looks better for anybody catching passes for Houston this week. I was going to say, yeah, that matchup. I, I think Stills is a really nice fantasy starter for Week 8, and I think Kiki Cutie would probably find himself in wide receiver 3 range in our rankings. Yeah, we'll have to see exactly where he settles. So that does it for the, the injury portion. Again, anybody, we'll have updates on all these guys that have any any news on them, plus any other injuries that pop up during the week. Check the Shark Bites section. That's free. You don't have to be a DS Insider to check it out. Uh, let's move on to other stuff from Week 7 now, though. And I'm going to start by asking, should we just throw out all the results from the soggy Niners-Washington game for fantasy purposes, for, at least for looking forward. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think there's uh, some usage stuff we can take away. You know, the Redskins pounded Adrian Peterson again, 20 carries. He has 43 carries now in the, in the two games under um, interim coach Bill Callahan. The Redskins were playing with the lead against the Dolphins last week, and then they were within striking distance this entire game against the 49ers. So, we know the Redskins want to run Peterson. I still think it's going to be an issue a lot of games starting this Thursday night with Washington 16-point underdogs in Minnesota. So I'm still not super excited about Peterson going forward. What about a revenge game here? I'm check- checking out <laughs> if he's played Minnesota. I don't think he's played Minnesota at all since they really? well, played them week one with New Orleans before New Orleans realized that they didn't want him. Yeah, uh, I'm not a believer in the revenge game thing, so. No, I know. I'm just <laughs> But yeah, it, it will be a significant thing for matchups beyond Minnesota. Certainly good yeah. usage that Adrian Peterson's been getting so far. I would not play him this week, but certainly worth keeping on rosters going forward. The one who worries me a little bit more is Terry McLaurin, and not just because of, of Sunday. Two targets, one catch, 11 yards. 
Uh, it's ugly, but when Case Keenum only managed 12 pass attempts on the day, only completed nine, I mean, there really wasn't much of a chance for McLaurin. And we knew going into the game that it wasn't going to be a good one. But I think I feel like it speaks a little bit to the ultimate volatility of this situation that McLaurin's in. And the schedule doesn't look great going forward. There's really not another positive matchup by our strength of scoring uh, strength of schedule page until the Eagles and Giants at the end of the year. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, Washington at this point with Miami is like y- you can't feel super comfortable using anyone on those offenses. I do think Terry McLaurin, first of all, is good. Um, he's still the clear lead dog in this passing game, you know, despite the two targets yesterday. Um, that was his first game all season with fewer than seven targets. He's still sitting on 21% target share. He's seen 50% of the Redskins air yards. That's that's a crazy number. So I think in general, and it'll vary from week to week, um, you know, based on matchups, but, but I do still think McLaurin is like a weekly wide receiver three with upside. I think he is very good, but if you're the lead dog at the shelter, then it doesn't necessarily mean you're eating well all the time. Yeah, I mean, there, there's going to be some more duds for him the rest of the way, but I also think he, he's going to give you some some useful lines still. Yeah, I mean, I'm not dropping him, but I'm still I still certainly have him squarely in my cell column. And one guy that we were comparing him to earlier when we were updating the rest of the way is Robbie Anderson with the Jets. And for me, I'd rather have Robbie Anderson with his sweet schedule with Sam Darnold back going going forward. Yeah, the, the schedule definitely points to Anderson there. Yeah, I think McLaren's still probably a better target bet though. Tevin Coleman. Crushed my DFS dreams for Sunday. 20 carries, which is what I was hoping for. Two targets. Caught both of those for a whopping minus one yard. 62 yards on the ground. I haven't watched this whole soggy game back. I'm hoping that it was really mostly field conditions for this one. I used Coleman a lot in DFS too. And honestly, we got lucky to get what we did out of him because Matt Breda left this game in the third quarter to get checked for a concussion. According to the TV crew, he he passed the concussion concussion test, but he also got poked in the eye. <laughs> so regardless, he he didn't return to the game. Um, be, before he left, though, it was eight carries apiece for Tevin Coleman and Matt Breda. They both also saw one target. So it was, it was a 50-50 committee, which is sort of not what I was expecting based on the usage we got in week seven where, you know, Coleman was sort of the clear leader. So I think we have to sort of expect this to still be something close to a 50-50 committee going forward between Coleman and Breda. Yeah, I think it's mostly, I think it's going to be volatile where the the carry totals are going to look different week to week. You know, it depends some on game flow, uh, but we just can't count on Tevin Coleman to necessarily lead the backfield in touches the way we might have thought that we could coming out of his first two weeks post-injury. Yeah, and again, like you said, though, still, you know, maybe the run heaviest offense, I guess, probably behind Baltimore, um, you know, the second run heaviest offense in the NFL. Um, so I, I think Coleman and Breda can still be weekly fantasy starters. And they were most run heavy heading into this past week. I don't know what those rates are at right now. Probably still most run heavy after that game. Jimmy Garoppolo, 12 for 21, 151 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. I'm sure whether played a part there. I know that volume is going to play a part going forward. I do think that Jimmy Garoppolo is really not as good as many wanted him to be heading into last season though. Yeah, I don't think he's that good either. He's just from what I've seen this season, just super inconsistent even from play to play. But I think more importantly, again, this this Niners offense runs through the ground game. So I just don't think you're going to get huge you know, numbers or volume out of Garoppolo this season. All right, let's move on now to some surprising wide receiver performances from Week 7 and what to make of these guys going forward. We'll start with Alex Erickson, Erickson, who is so surprising that I can't even pronounce his fairly common last name. Eight catches, 137 yards on 14 targets against Jacksonville. He actually jumped from barely playing to 80% of the snaps against Baltimore in Week 6, saw six targets in that game, caught four balls for 47 yards, also had one 17-yard rush, but jumped further to 94% playing time against Jacksonville, ranked second among Bengals wideouts and snaps for that game, played three more snaps than Alvin Tate, so, you know, it was close, but tied Tyler Boyd for the team target lead. Both of those guys more than doubled Auden Tate. So I, what do we make of Alex Arison from this point going forward? Or do we start calling him Erickson instead of saying Arison every time? Let's go. Let's just go with Erickson, so we don't got to go. You know, the Alex Erickson. That's that's pretty tough. Just no thanks for me on this guy. I guess. Um, yeah, I, I I'm having trouble at this point even trusting Tyler Boyd in this Bengals offense, despite the huge volume that Boyd is seeing. Um, I still think Erickson probably the number three bet for targets behind Boyd and not in Tate. And then you know, Adrian Green. 
I, th- I think is going to be back at some point. And, you know, that's going to knock Erickson down to fourth on the depth chart. So it, it would have to be a super deep league for me to even consider adding him. Who do you think is talking to God more right now, AJ Green or Kenyon Drake looking for a trade? <laughs> uh, let's go Drake because he's younger. He still has, you know, more more good years in front of him. Yeah, I think that's all the more reason for AJ Green to be asking, though. <laughs> he's desperate. He's <laughs> more desperate. I don't know their, their family situations in the cities that they're in. But, man, if I'm AJ Green – and I don't have some specific family thing holding me to Cincinnati. I'm I'm praying that they move me at this point. That team, that team is garbage. It would sure make a lot of sense for the Bengals to trade AJ Green, but that's that's why they're the Bengals, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on Erickson. It, I'm sure there are situations where he's going to make sense. They head into what could be a high-volume situation against the Rams this week. The Rams certainly should be able to score plenty of points against them. I expect the Bengals to be chasing. I guess that will put all of the Bengals' wideouts in play to some degree. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that further later in the week, but I'm certainly not chasing hard after Erickson on the waiver wire this week. Yeah, just tough to trust anything in that Bengals' offense right now. Zach Pascal, six catches for 106 yards, two touchdowns on seven targets. I did... Put together a Jacoby Brissett lineup late on Sunday morning. I, of course, did not include any of Pascal in that. His playing time was actually down slightly from the previous two weeks. 47% of the snaps against the Texans, 54% the week before, 69% two weeks before that. That game, of course, was with no T.Y. Hilton in the lineup. That was the only other time this season that Pascal saw seven targets, as he did yesterday against the Texans. It looks to me like the thing here was targeting Texans corner Lonnie Johnson, a rookie, in coverage. According to Pro Football Focus, Pascal caught five of his six passes for 72 yards and both touchdowns with Lonnie Johnson in coverage. His other catch came uh, with inside linebacker Zach Cunningham on him in coverage. Yeah, this very likely goes down as Pascal's best game ever. Um, you know, he, he was he was only fourth among Colts wide receivers in routes run this week at forty three percent. They're still running that you know sort of wide receiver by committee be, behind T. Y. Hilton with Pascal, Deion Kane, Chester Rogers, Paris Campbell has been out the past couple of weeks. He'll be back at some point. Devin Funchess is going to be back at some point. Pascal may be worth stashing in deep leagues, but until we see his playing time and routes run climb i i couldn't trust him in, in fantasy lineups yeah and maybe keep an eye on De- do we know anything about devin funches how like how close he might be to actually playing again this year no did he go to, was it week one or week two he went down i think it was week one yeah yeah so i mean he's eligible to come back what in week 10 so, yeah, so I, I think right now if i'm looking at this level i would be more interested in stashing devin funches from waivers yeah. than i would be going after zach pascal yeah i mean this is like to get back what we talked about last week with you know like stashing those high upside handcuff running backs over these type of wideouts. Like I would, I would much rather stash someone like Tony Pollard than Pascal right now. Yeah, I agree with that. As for Lonnie Johnson heading into next week, they get Oakland. So if Tyrell Williams is back from his foot injury, it looks like he would see the most of Lonnie Johnson in coverage. So might be a reason to lean toward Tyrell Williams. Obviously we'll have to watch that situation before knowing if we can use Tyrell Williams at all after he missed the past couple of games. Please come back, Tyrell. We 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 miss you. Yeah, I agree. DK Metcalf did not put up big numbers, but he did lead the Seahawks with nine targets in the loss to Baltimore. It was a season high for him. Played 75% of the snaps. That has been trending up slightly since dipping after the first few weeks. He started out the season at 78%, then 88-84, then got down into the 60s for a couple games, 72% and 75% the past two games. Metcalf's target shares also started the season strong, 30 and 20%. Then he was down in the low teen, low to mid-teens for four straight weeks, up to 22% yesterday. I don't think that it marks a return of DK Metcalf to the target lead. I think it is a n- another signal that Seattle is just going to spread it around. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Metcalf's been losing some playing time and targets to Jerron Brown and, and, and David Moore, but he he is still the number you know two wide out here, and it's you know still one of if not the most efficient passing game. So you're gonna get that volatility with Metcalf, like like we see with any wide receiver in that you know wide receiver three, wide receiver four territory. But he he does have the upside because he's big, he's athletic, and he's playing with Wilson. Yeah, it is. I think the role that he plays with a lot of downfield stuff is certainly going to add to the volatility too. it. It can help with big weeks, but it can also help make the week pretty empty when the guy doesn't happen to catch the one big play. Yep, for sure. 
Corey Davis and A.J. Brown had nice days with Ryan Tannehill's start against the Chargers. Corey Davis, seven targets, six for 80 and a touchdown. A.J. Brown, eight targets, six for 64. A.J. Brown's playing time's up lately. It is, yeah. 61% over the last three weeks after being at 45% over the first four. So that's nice to see. Ryan Tannehill was nice to see. I mean, man, it's it's a mark against Marcus Mariota when you know Tannehill comes in and looks like a clear upgrade on you. The Titans get the Bucks next week, so I think... Corey Davis, especially, I, I think he's still the preferred Titans wide receiver just because he's you know playing something closer to an every down roll. Um, but I think AJ Brown even is going to be in the mix um, because of that Bucks matchup next week. Yeah, I mean they probably look like DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, where the top guy is like twenty eighth to thirtieth, and the next guy is like thirty six, thirty seven. Yep, yeah, sounds about right. And Ryan, as you said, Ryan Tannehill's first start, 23 of 29, 312 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. And against a Chargers secondary that's it hasn't been as good as we were hoping, but has mm-hmm. been solid overall, has not been a positive scoring matchup for QBs. So uh, an impressive first Titans outing for Ryan Tannehill, first full Titans outing. And he's, you know, low on the spot start list, but still on there for that upcoming game that you just mentioned. Yeah, I definitely think Tannehill in, in deeper leagues will be an option this week. Delaney Walker re-injured the ankle that had him uh, iffy heading into that game. I don't remember if he was officially questionable, but he hurt that ankle early. And Johnny Smith, three catches on three targets for 64 yards, which is something we knew he was capable of. Yeah, he had an impressive um, tackle-breaking catch-and-run in that game that I caught. Um, and again, this matchup against the Bucks. the Bucks are 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight end. So Smith, Smith, maybe something we should add to the free agent focus. Cause I think, you know, if you're, if you're desperate at tight end, um, you know, he, he's going to be an option in, in week eight in that matchup, assuming, assuming Delaney Walker sits or if we hear he's going to be limited again. If we're going to include Mike Jacecki in there, then yeah, I think, I think there's room <laughs> for Johnny Smith. Exactly. And then I'll be curious to see what Ryan Tannehill's own rate is looking like in DFS as we head to the end of the week. Yeah, me too. He was super cheap uh, this past week. Sort of mad I didn't play him. Yeah. On the other side of that game, the Chargers pass catchers. I mean, the Chargers The Chargers are reeling at this point. They should be a playoff contender. They're not. A lot of it has been injuries, but other stuff is self-inflicted. So I want to sort out what we have going on in the receiving portion of this team. Hunter Henry, he already looks like a fantasy stud, don't you think, in just two games back? Yeah, especially with the state of tight end. Like, if you have Hunter Henry, be very happy. Yeah, 17 targets, 14 catches through two games. He's at 197 yards in those two contests. Austin Eckler had another big receiving day against the Titans. Seven catches for 118 and a touchdown on eight targets in that game. I mean, he's probably not going to match. These two weeks again, the week five where he caught 15 balls and then this one against the Titans. That said, I mean, are you selling him off of this or are we waiting to see if the Chargers realize uh, things were going better before we started giving the ball to Melvin Gordon so much? Right. That's the tough part. I think Eckler is sellable because, you know, those are massive receiving lines, 15 catches and then then 118 receiving yards for a running back. I mean, so I can't argue with selling high. The Chargers are stubbornly trying to make Melvin Gordon like the focal point of their offense. It's obviously not working. And I don't know if it's Gordon has lost a step after the holdout or if it's the offensive line issues for the Chargers. But at this point, you know, their best way to move the ball is, you know, with these quick passes to guys like Eckler and and Henry and Keenan Allen. So um, it would definitely make sense for them to move in that direction. Eckler actually outsnapped Melvin Gordon. Uh, yesterday it was close. It was 59% of the snaps for Eckler, 53 to Melvin Gordon. They did have a few snaps, you know, obviously with both guys on the field. They got creative a bit with that. So that was nice to see. Again, it's it's what do you project the Chargers to do? If they stick with what the backfield's been looking like, Eckler's probably a sell, but there's a chance and, and they probably should move more towards Eckler going forward. Yeah. Melvin Gordon's averaged 2.25 yards per carry in his three games back. Eckler was averaging 3.9 yards per carry over the first four games. So, you know, it's not a strong number, but certainly stronger than what Gordon has done so far. That said, Eckler has got at 2.15 yards per carry in the three Gordon games. So maybe it's a blocking thing overall more than a Melvin Gordon problem. I mean, either way, they have to do something to adjust it. I, I would say at the very least, it doesn't make sense that Melvin Gordon has nearly tripled Austin Eckler's groundwork, 36 carries to Eckler's 13 over their three shared games. So I would expect there to be some more Eckler touches. As you said, we're not going to have 
we're probably not going to have more receiving games like Eckler has had. I, I can't say for sure, though, when he's done it two of the past three games. So right. I think that Eckler is worth considering selling. I can't say that you should get out from under him for what you know, whatever you can get. It totally depends on how other owners are going to value him. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I would say if Eckler is like your you know fourth running back, or if you have three other backs you can you know rely on, then yeah, maybe sell him. But other than that, I'd probably just hang on to him, especially if you're in a PPR league. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I think people are probably wondering what's up with Keenan Allen. Uh, another. Not great fantasy outings. Okay, four catches for 61 yards, but you're probably frustrated if you have Keenan Allen at this point. I would say realize that he did get 11 targets against the Titans. That followed games of five, six, and six. So we could say, what's wrong with Keenan Allen? Or what are the Chargers doing when they're not giving him the ball? But when they throw it to him 11 times against a solid defense, I think he just kind of chalked that up as, we knew this was going to be a difficult matchup overall. It was a rough day. And we at least now have four games this year of 10 plus targets for Keenan Allen versus three of six or fewer. Yeah. I mean, the, the three of, of six or fewer have obviously come over the past four weeks now. Um, I think Allen definitely benefited early from Hunter Henry being out from Mike Williams being banged up for some of that time for there, you know, being no Melvin Gordon around. So, you know, he's, he's not going to get back to that level of usage, but again, he saw the 11 targets yesterday. Um, it, this is just sort of the volatility you get with any wide receiver. I think Allen, Allen's still a, a top 10 fantasy wide receiver going forward. Yeah, I would guess that he's generally in the 8 to 11 target range going forward. Certainly 15 to 17 are not numbers that we should count on, but I think 8 to 11 is probably what we can expect. Yeah, that sounds right. How should we feel about these other guys, these non-receivers coming out of week seven? Let's talk about Jacoby Brissett first. made mention of him a little bit ago. QB 10 in points per game on the season so far. Only Russell Wilson has more touchdown passes. Of course, Brissett threw four of them against the Texans, but... He's been strong for the first, you know, six games of the season. It's also worth noting that he lost T.Y. Hilton for a game and a half in that span. He lost Devin Funches back in week one. Brissett's working on a 6.8% touchdown rate and only 12 rushing yards per game. So we figured coming in that that was something that worked in his favor. He hasn't even benefited from that so much so far. He's 13th among all quarterbacks in rushing yards. How are you feeling about Brissett? Yeah, I mean, he's he's been good. Like you said, he's finishes a top 12 fantasy quarterback in four of his six weeks. The notes of caution here, like you said, the 6.8% touchdown rate, to me, that that's a mark against him because I just think that's going to come down. It's third highest among 38 qualifying quarterbacks. Brissett's only 23rd in pass yards per game. And PFF has him 24th among quarterbacks in their pass grade. So, you know, they don't think he's been anything more than average. So I do think there's some regression that's going to hit him. That said, you know, he does have some nice upcoming matchups against Miami, Houston, and Tampa Bay over the next, you know, uh, month, month and a half here. So he's definitely worth owning if you've been, you know, spot starting and, and playing matchups at quarterback this season. Yeah, this week, I don't think he's going to climb into the top 12 against Denver, but certainly against those teams that you mentioned coming up are a good spot. So if you have Brissett, I would hang on to him for those. Consider adding him if you have been streaming for that stretch. Yep. Aaron Rodgers, 25 of 31, 429 yards, five touchdown passes, plus one on the ground. He had a perfect passer rating against the Raiders, touchdowns to five different guys, no more than five targets for any players. It wasn't like he locked on to anybody and you know made his day with that player. Touchdowns from 21 yards out, 37 yards out, 74 yards out to MVS. <laughs> Uh, what do you? How are you feeling about Aaron Rodgers now versus two days ago? He he's just playing lights out. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Hall of Famer. What what he did yesterday might have been like the most impressive game of his career to put up those numbers with the pass catching core he had. Because Marquez Valdez Scantling, he finished. He was fourth among Packers wide receivers in snaps. He was clearly not at one hundred percent. Alan Lazard and Jake Kumaro were Rodgers' top two wide receivers in that game, and he puts up the five passing touchdowns. So um, I, I think he, he's he's back to an every week quarterback one, and he, you know, he's going to get Devonta Adams back at some point, which is going to be huge. I still think he belongs toward the bottom of the top 12, however. Ninth in QB points per game for the season still, even with the big one. 11th in touchdown rate, even though it's up from that game. Yeah, seventh in yards per pass attempt, which is obviously good. Fourth in adjusted yards per pass attempt, which also factors in interceptions and sacks. You know, it was good to get a game where we can be reminded that in a good situation and in a good matchup, not necessarily a situation because you mentioned the receivers, but in a good matchup, 
Aaron Rodgers is totally capable of exploiting the defense and putting up big numbers. There are some rough spots coming up. We They have the ninth worst schedule remaining, according to our strength of schedule page. That included yesterday's positive matchup with Oakland. Spots at the Chiefs and at the Chargers aren't positive, and then against the Panthers the week after that. And then there's a bye, and then at the 49ers. So I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is – a bubble right now after yesterday's game. But I do think that it might be a selling opportunity if Mm -hmm. you're looking to upgrade somewhere else. I mean, I I guess to the extent that you can sell any quarterback and it makes sense if you can get an upgrade elsewhere, but I'd feel fine playing Rodgers. And I guess all those spots besides San Francisco might worry me a bit. But again, if he gets Devontae Adams back, I mean, that's just huge considering the guys he's been throwing to these past couple weeks now. Yeah, I mean, he had Devontae Adams through the first, what was it, four or five weeks though. Let's remember that you know he's setting into a new offense here, and to me, he's he pretty. He's it's been a pretty steady ascent this season. I think I've, you know basically every week he's been looking more and more comfortable in in Matt Lafleur's offense. Yeah, that certainly might be the case. I don't I I don't think that there's a huge gap between him and Kirk Cousins fantasy wise though going forward. Um, I think there's a gap, maybe not a huge gap. I'd have to break down all the matchups to really. You know, say how close I think that gap is, but just to, I don't know, kind of define where I think he's at. You're a Rodgers hater. We get it. Yep. All right. So we'll move on to Marvin Jones. 10 catches, 93 yards, four touchdowns against the Vikings on 13 targets. Are you feeling any different about Marvin Jones today? I quite honestly have like no analysis for this. Like (laughs) there's nothing you can look at for Jones's first, you know, what was it? Five games. Nothing you can look at in the matchup that would have pointed to this. I mean, I guess... The takeaway is that Marvin Jones is still good, and when he gets the opportunity, he can do stuff like this. But, you know, it's it's not going to happen again this season. Yeah, no, this is a goofball game. It wasn't a matter of him working on one particular Viking because it was spread around – who he was, who had him in coverage. And I mean, he, he, he had 93 yards on these 10 catches. So it's not like he mm-hmm. was lighting it up, making big plays. Jones scored on plays of 16, three, 10 and two yards. I mean, usually those red zone targets are going to Kenny Galladay. They have also right. been going to TJ Hawkinson this year, even though he hasn't caught a bunch of them before the Minnesota game, Marvin Jones had two total red zone targets this season one inside the 10-yard line, according to Pro Football Reference. Now he has six red zone targets, so he tripled his season total in that category in a single game. So, And even looking at overall targets, he went 4-6-9 against the Eagles, 5-5-13. So there was no pattern. There's not anything that says we should have known that Marvin Jones was in for a big game, other than he's playing in an offense that's probably a little bit better than we anticipated heading into the season. And he remains a solid player. Yeah. I, I'd like to go back and watch this game and just see what the Vikings were doing on defense to, you know, a- end up with Marvin Jones getting 13 targets and Kenny Galladay only two targets, you know, on a day where I think Stafford threw it 40 plus times. So this is the type of game though, where I think it sort of reminds other defenses that Marvin Jones can still play. And then it sort of, you know, swings the pendulum back in Kenny Galladay's favor in week eight and beyond. So since it's apparent that we're going to just get this obscene wide receiver <laughs> stat line every week going forward, uh, you have any early favorites for for the week eight wide receiver who's going to score three plus touchdowns? I, I got nothing. It's going to be something that you know doesn't make any sense. You know, AJ Brown against the against the Bucks next week. Well, there you go. I, I think <laughs> the early candidates for me are DeAndre Hopkins against Oakland with Will Fuller out. Tyler Lockett at Atlanta, just because his target shares have stunk lately and it's time for him to have a game to remind us that he's the best wideout in Seattle. John Brown against Philly, I think, is your out-of-nowhere one. The Philly defense that's generally tough against the run, but sucks against the pass. I I still think all those make too much sense to me. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like John Brown is the Stephon Diggs one. And maybe it's Stephon Diggs again because now he's the number one receiver against Washington on Thursday night. I'm in on John Brown for DFS tournaments in week eight. So I I hope it's him. There you go. All right. So we'll move on now to Latavius Murray who had 27 carries for 119 yards, two touchdowns, plus five catches for 31 yards on six targets against the Bears in Chicago. I think the bigger story than Latavius Murray, who obviously just became the workhorse with Alvin Kamara out, is that the Bears' defense has now allowed consecutive big ground days to Latavius Murray and Josh Jacobs. I mean, they lost Akeem Hicks, their defensive tackle, early in the Oakland game. 
in London a couple weeks ago to an elbow injury that landed him on IR. So there was still no Akeem Hicks in this game. They were also missing Akeem Hicks back in week four, though. They still limited Dalvin Cook in that game. So I'm sure that Hicks is a big factor in it. I do think overall, though, this defense has some issues that it has to work out or it's just not going to be anything that we worry about going forward. I think, I mean, I think we should have expected just some regression from how dominant the Bears were on defense last season. It's it's sort of, you know, just tough to repeat that. So I'm not surprised they've taken a step back. I'm still not ready to call it a defense we want to attack and maybe not even a neutral matchup. I think I think it might still be a negative matchup going forward. Um, but again, not not to the extent it was last season. They at least have the Chargers, Eagles, and Lions the next three. None of those running games at the moment are scaring you. And I'm certainly not getting pumped up about Melvin Gordon in week eight just because of what the Bears have allowed the past two weeks. That said, if I have been starting Melvin Gordon the past couple weeks, I feel a little bit better about Melvin Gordon right now than I would have otherwise in a matchup with the Bears. Right, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll bet on the Bears' run D over the Chargers' run offense in that matchup next week. Uh, what do we know about Alvin Kamara? Anything else beyond what we knew heading into Sunday? No. The Saints have a week nine bye, so you know, I think it might make sense, especially after how well Latavius Murray played um, yesterday for them to for the Saints to hold Kamara out against this Cardinals game this this Sunday. But we'll we'll have to watch. Tom, Tom Pelissero did you know call. Kamara's injury a high ankle type issue if it's a high ankle sprain I think you know we, we should expect him to miss week eight <laughs> whatever a high ankle type issue is issue right yeah. on the other side of that matchup David Montgomery was nearly non-existent two carries for six yards two catches for 13 on two targets against the Saints I don't care how game flow goes if that's all that your quote-unquote lead running back gets that guy is not your lead running back and you're running your offense poorly it wasn't all a game flow issue because th- this game was close throughout the first half. Um, you know, the Bears actually took took a lead in, in the second quarter, but th- the Bears went 23 pass plays versus five runs in the first half with Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback. So, you know, this this was definitely a game plan thing. I've been a fan of Matt Nagy. I'm not totally throwing the towel on him, but, you know, this, this, this was not good this week. Uh, my towel is in, and it's already been tossed into the washing machine. I think Matt Nagy's overrated. I think the Bears were not as good as they seemed to be last year, especially on offense. And I mean, they had the same plan against Washington, and it worked out because it was Washington. But it doesn't make right. any sense to let Mitchell Trubisky throw the ball as much as they are, I think it's a absolute garbage offense. And there are lots and lots of running backs I would take over David Montgomery going forward. Yeah, I, I can't argue with you there. <laughs> Tariq Cohen, 11 and 15 opportunities over the past two games, at least. He's now third among all running backs and targets, sixth at the position in receptions, yet tied for 18th in receiving yards. So good volume for him, but I wouldn't call him a guy that we should try to count on in a PPR league even. Yeah, what did he have yesterday? It was like eight catches for 19 yards or something. Yeah, something. Wasn't good. And against defenders measuring him. <laughs> I saw that. Mark Andrews also let down my DFS lineups. Two catches for 39 yards, eight targets in Seattle. That doubled his nearest teammate, so the usage is still there. But we're now looking at four games among his past five with less than 50 receiving yards. One touchdown catch over that span. What do you make of this? Is this a buy window or is it time to change our outlook for Mark Andrews? This was a bad day for Mark Andrews. He had three really, really ugly drops, including one in the end zone that you know should have gone for a touchdown. So, yeah, I'm I'm willing to just write it off. Um, it, it was a rainy day in Seattle, so maybe that had an issue, had something to do with his performance. I think it's a buy window, like you said. The, the volume has still been there. He's you know at least until um, Hollywood Brown's back, Andrews remains the clear number one option in this passing game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. He had 99-yard receiving day the week before. So even though I'm going to try to get rid of the bad taste in my mouth from week seven and say that it is a buy opportunity for Mark Andrews because his owners are probably disappointed comparing what he did in the first two weeks to what he has done over the past five weeks and more willing to move him now. And like I said, the usage has been there. He's still doubled his nearest teammate in targets against Seattle. Even when Marquise Brown is back, Mark Andrews saw plenty of usage with Marquise Brown in the lineup. And having Marquise Brown there is certainly not going to hurt the way that defenses are covering Mark Andrews going forward. Right, yeah. I mean, we saw Andrews producing alongside Brown those first couple games. And again, you know, if Andrews doesn't drop those passes, he has five catches for 80 yards and a touchdown, and we're, and we're not even talking about him. And his pro football focus receiving grades are down from early in the season, but 
he's now just at like a, a decent to solid to even good level as opposed mm-hmm. to grading out as elite over the first two games. So it, I wouldn't say that yeah. he's that he stinks right now by any means. Nope, I wouldn't say that either. Other than in Seattle. Let's move on now to streaming defenses and not even looking at the specific week. If I've been streaming defenses at this point and I'm looking for an answer right now, I'm picking up the Colts first. They finished 10th in ESPN scoring against Kansas City in week five at Kansas City, sacked Patrick Mahomes four times and held the Chiefs to 13 points in that game. 12th against Deshaun Watson and the Texans yesterday. The only other good outing that they've had to date was week two at Tennessee, but this defense is getting healthier. Darius Leonard returned from a concussion that kept him out multiple games. Jabal Sheard is back at defensive end. He had a sack against Houston. Safety Malik Hooker will return at some point. That can only help further. He's their starting free safety. Even if you include yesterday's negative matchup against Houston, Indy's looking at the ninth best schedule the rest of the way, according to our strength of schedule page. They are home for Denver in week eight, so I want the Colts for that. They're at Pittsburgh in week nine, which... It looks like a strongly negative matchup by the numbers, but I mean, with either Mason Rudolph or Devlin Hodges under center, I'm not going to sit here and say that's a matchup we can't use the Colts in. And then on the other side of that, whatever you decide to do against the Steelers, we've got Miami, Jacksonville, Houston, Tennessee, at Tampa. The Colts are available in more than 80% of ESPN leagues. I would go try to get them this week. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think this is a dominant defense, but with that schedule, I think they're definitely a unit you can just sort of plug in your lineup for the next, you know, what, seven, eight weeks now. Yeah, besides how many dominant defenses are there? Very few. One, I think. Yeah. Who else are you looking at? The Steelers, I think, obviously are the top target this week. We talked about them last week, so hopefully you stash them. But they're still available in 74% of ESPN leagues. They get the Dolphins on Monday Night Football this coming week. Um, If you can't get them, it would be tough if you used them this week. But I think you could go back to the Lions, even though they just you know gave up a bunch of points to the Vikings. But the Lions are home for the Giants this week. Daniel Jones, seven interceptions now over his last four games. And then I'll throw out the Jets, too. Um, they're at Jacksonville this week, so an okay spot. Then they get Miami the following week. And then after that, they get the Giants and, and Washington. So I think the Jets even, you know, you could really pick them up pick them up and just use them for the next four weeks. Yeah, my initial reaction to the Lions is an, is an allergic one after the way that they performed against the Vikings. But to be fair, that was a matchup where I was hoping that the Vikings would take a step back, and they didn't. The Vikings mm-hmm. looked like they're actually just doing better on offense now. And it didn't work out. The matchup with the Giants is definitely a better one than last week's was. Yeah, for sure. And Daniel Jones just got sacked quite a lot by the Cardinals on Sunday. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we can talk about Daniel Jones, but I, I think we're all just sort of hanging on to that that first game he had against the, the Cardinals. And even, uh, I, I guess, the, or sorry, the Bucks that first game. Because um, he, he has not looked good since then. Yeah, I think we'll get more into that later in the week. For now, that's going to do it for this Week 7 Recap Edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out our up-to-date rest of the way rankings. And then our Week 8 projections will come your way midday Tuesday. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.